Blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption in himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as part, <clears throat> I'm sorry, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first in hope, first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what we see in this text. It says that there is a word of truth to be heard and to be believed, and so we are grateful that there is a gospel. Father, you are sovereign by right, but you are savior by choice. And so thank you for choosing to do something about a situation we could not do, we could not change. You chose to overcome all of our rebellion, all of our death and sin and trespasses, even to change our very nature from being objects of wrath. We who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil through Christ can now be reconciled and be holy and blameless and without blemish. Father, I pray the preciousness of the gospel would be clear. I pray that you would use it to produce in us gospel urgency and going forth how many need to hear this word and still respond thank you for the greatest blessing of the gospel it's not adoption it's not even heaven it's you you are the greatest gift of the gospel and you reconcile us to yourself you indwell us with your very presence with your very spirit guaranteeing our future that it's not dependent on our being really good in our sanctification our hope of glorification is that you are really good and that you are faithful and you keep your word and those in whom you dwell you will never stop dwelling those whom you adopt you will never abandon pray, Father, for your word to be clear, not just for moms today, but for dads, for singles, for teenagers, for children, for college students, for grandparents, Father, that your word would be clear for all of us as we see what you have done for us in Jesus, and that this is where we would find our identity instead of trying to find it in all of these other arbitrary places, less satisfying places, transient places. Help us to find our sure and steadfast identity in Christ. 
I pray for the gospel to be clear all throughout our city today. I pray that in each congregation, men would rise up and feed your sheep. They would preach your word. And Father, you would grant ears that would hear and hearts that would respond. I pray that would be true in this room as well. As always, our prayer is not to just be informed by the incredible truth that's here in Ephesians 1. Father, our desperate prayer this morning is that we would be transformed by this. That we would not be the same as we walk out of this place than that which we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said earlier, we're grateful to have each of you here. We've actually started a series in Ecclesiastes, and we have done two sermons in Ecclesiastes. We broke last week to have a time for our graduates, and Kevin shared a word to our graduates. And today we have a word uh, for Mother's Day here from Ephesians, and then should the Lord grant us next Sunday and then our summers through uh, our Sundays through this summer, we will, we will pick back up and walk through the rest of Ecclesiastes from here, I, I believe, until Labor Day, uh, studying that great work and what the Lord can teach us in there. Uh, if the Lord grants us August, I will have been here seven years. And the, the last time that I preached through Ephesians was, it was the very first series I did here. And I did a series called Knowing and Walking in the Gospel. Because Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul lays out the gospel. And then in Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, here's how the gospel plays out in our lives. And Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 all hinge on the gospel being evident in our life. In Ephesians 1 through 3, there's only one command in all of these chapters. And it's in chapter 2, and it's the word remember in verse 12, where he says, Remember what you were without Jesus. So in the opening three chapters... The only thing he wants you to do is to remember who you were without Jesus. Once he lays the the foundation of the gospel, then in chapter 4 he says, Now that this is all true of you. So Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, they are all true of you now, the moment you believe in Jesus. And now in that gospel power, in the power of Christ, in the power of the indwelling spirit, now this is how it should play out as a faith family. Ephesians 4 is one of the ones that drives us as elders, that that we are to equip you to be ministers of the word, that we aim towards maturity each year. That's why we ask each year, do we look more like Jesus this year than last year? It's not an arbitrary question that we read in a church health book. It's in Ephesians 4 that says that we should be growing into maturity together and we can't leave anyone behind. That's why membership matters. Who's in? Who are we responsible for? And then using our gifts. It says when each one is using their gifts, the whole thing is built up in love. And it says there are ways in which we no longer walk as we used to walk because of the grace that's evident in our lives. And there are implications for our homes. Fathers who love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children who obey and honor their parents because of the gospel in their life. And let me give you a good word, children. Jesus was once eight. Jesus was once nine. He knows the temptations at every specific age in which he lived. And he's able to grant us the grace to meet those temptations, to be able to to live what he's called us to. Mother's Day sermons are always a mix because you can beat people up because they, they're not a good mom or they think they're not a good mom or maybe they, they're not a mom and they want to be a mom. So we don't want to do any of those things. 
we want to be equipped further. And, and so I, I feel like often as moms and dads and teenagers and children and college students, we struggle with who am I? What's my identity? Where, where should I place my identity? Where does it come from? And I want to begin with giving you a couple lies of identity, and then we'll jump into Ephesians 1 in, in just a moment. And the first lie of identity, if you got your notes there, is that I am what I have. That, that is a lie of identity. I am what I have. Some are born into families who have a lot of material resources, and some are not. Some struggle to provide food and housing. I read an article this morning of families in particular in San Francisco where housing costs so much of a family of five who had a newborn baby and lived in their car for weeks because they didn't have anywhere else they could go and struggling to provide a place for their family. What if you lose what you possess? Then does that change who you are? Or what if you never possess what some other people do? Does that then change who you are? No, neither of these fundamentally do. Because our identity is not found in having a degree or not having a degree. Although high school and college grads, we're real proud of you. Good job. Keep going. Those of you who are still there, persevere. But ultimately, your identity will not be found in that gown or that robe. Uh, again, Alistair's still worried about wearing his for kindergarten graduation this week. He's like, why do I have to wear a gown? I think he thinks it's a nightgown kind of thing. He's worried about it. having a degree or not having a degree. Is, that's not where our identity is found. Having a job that pays very well or having a job that doesn't pay very well. That's not where our identity is. Having a spouse or not having a spouse. Again, not where it is. Having a good spouse or not having a good spouse. Having children or not having children. Having obedient, smart, and beautiful children or not having obedient, smart, and beautiful children. Our identity is not found in these. Now let me ask you a couple questions. For those of you who participate in social media... When you get a lot of comments or likes or retweets on a picture or a post, how does that make you feel? You feel awesome? You feel good? You feel like, yes, nailed it, all right? Well, let me ask the opposite. Then when your pictures or posts do not get the response do you, you desire, how does that make you feel? Oh, I was stupid. I shouldn't have posted that. No one liked that. I, I should take it down. Wasn't good enough. Wasn't as, wasn't as good as Barton's post, dog it. <laughs> Social media constantly exposes us to at least three things. What others are doing, how they look, and who they're with. Constantly exposing us. What they're, what they're doing, how they look, who they're with. And for many users of social media, it can quickly lead to a destructive path of feeling less than as if we don't measure up. And it doesn't take much from there to get to self-pity or discontentment or depression. Wouldn't it be nice to view someone else's post without it affecting your mood? I mean, how many of you have seen what someone posts and you were jealous? Or you were mad? Or felt something else? Or do you think it's possible to feel genuinely happy, not threatened, when you read about another's accomplishments? Hey, I did this. And can you celebrate that? All last year on Brothers Baseball Team, there was a kid in that team that when every other kid got a hit, he would have a meltdown in the dugout because he wasn't the one that got the great hit. I honestly wanted to spank the kid, if I were honest, and be like, you got to stop this self-pity party, right? He didn't have a dad in his life, so we tried to substitute in that way. But even to the very last game, one of the kids hit a home run over the fence. And for an eight-year-old, that's a pretty big deal. This kid's crying rather than celebrating what his friend has done. And I hope that's not any of you. I hope that's not you when you get on social media. 
Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum, though, and you feel like you're winning the comparison competition because of how you look, what you have, and who you hang out with. Well, that path has traps, too. You're not as awesome as you think. Let me give you a good word here. Only God is awesome. I've known sorry people in both categories who have a lot or who have nothing. And I've known wonderful people in both categories. But listen to me. Your identity is not found in what you have or do not have. Line number two, I am what I do. Some people are really gifted in athletic abilities. Some are really gifted in musical abilities or academic abilities or artistic abilities. And unfortunately, we tend to tie our self-worth to our performance. How we feel about ourselves rises and falls based on how we do or don't do at any given task. If we do great, then we feel like, I'm great. If we don't do great, we feel like, I'm not great. Maybe I'm the best or I'm the worst. Uh, being a parent of children who are in activities, there's ample opportunities to see self-worth tied to performance. I sat through two soccer games and two ballet recitals yesterday. And uh, we, we have kids, even this year, I, I coach on two different baseball teams. There are kids who cry every time they strike out. Now, we want to cry over cancer, but we don't cry over striking out. But if your identity is tied to whether you do good when you hit or not, if your self-worth is tied to that. I thought last night about these poor girls at the ballet recital because often I'm sure that there's some of them that think I don't dance as well as so-and-so. I don't look as good as so-and-so in her costume. And then that happens in the seats too. I don't look as good as so-and-so's mom does. I don't look as good as so-and-so's dad or I wish my so-and-so did what so-and-so's was doing and who are the so-and-so's, all right? What we can do and what we cannot do does not ultimately define us. You know, our identity as a man is not actually determined by what we know about cars, chainsaws, sports, or beards. Though I'm thankful for those bros. That doesn't ultimately make you a biblical man. Biblical manhood is most about responsibilities that God lays out for us. As a woman, our identity is not determined by whether we can make the perfect meal, arrange the perfect centerpiece of flowers, or make the perfect decorating makeup decision every time. Who can do that? It's pressure. There may come a day, you know, when you cannot do what you used to be able to do. It's called 20. And then 21 comes and you're like, ugh. And then 40 comes and you're like, what's the gum tree 5K, 10K? I'm doing 2K with my man Will, all right? So there may come a day when we can't do what we used to be able to do. Does that mean we stop being who we are? Our identity is not found, moms or dads, in changing diapers, doing laundry, and dishes. There's more to you than that. There's more to you than what we do. Our identity is not found in whether we are parents who always say and do the right thing with the children God's entrusted to us. I hope there's more than that. Because I have failed miserably, often, at saying and doing the right thing as a father. When we think we look good, feel good, and perform well compared to those around us, we feel better about ourselves. But when we assume that everyone else is doing better than we are, we feel as if our value is diminished. Maybe you feel like others are better at being a mother or father than you. Maybe you feel that others are better at being a son or daughter or a sister or brother or whatever the blank is. Weird cousin, right? Our identity is not found in what we can do or what we can't do. One more live identity. Not only is it not in what we have or don't have or can do or can't do, I am what other people say or think of me. Did you know that we all make poor judges of other people? We cannot see their full situations, and we often make wrong assumptions, but somehow that doesn't stop us. We still go on. 
we also often give too much influence to what others think of us. Is there someone's approval? I wonder this morning. Is there someone's approval that you've not received that you, you long for? Maybe some of you have had a mom or a dad that you've never received their approval and you long for that. Maybe there was a coach or a teacher, a mentor, and you're still striving for it. Why do you want it so bad? And is their approval more important than God's? Is theirs more? Is it heavier there? In a recent survey of teenagers, so you can trust those, half of those surveyed, and by the way, these were all teenage girls, half of those surveyed said they would change something about their appearance if they could. The other half wished they could change something about their personality or abilities. Why? And think about social media for a moment. Social media often is how we want people to perceive us. It's the moments we want them to see. Very few of us put our failures on there. I would just ask, for whom are you crafting your social media persona? Who is it that you want to think about you so much? And let me just pop a bubble here. Don't be surprised if people actually aren't thinking about you at all. But we think they are, right? And so maybe our struggle is not really with what others think of. It's just what we think they're thinking of us. Maybe you also struggle with what you think of others. Maybe you view others as prettier or more handsome than you, more popular, wealthier, better dressed, more fun, or they're just cool. You're like, I'm not cool. Maybe you feel stressed or depressed because you do not feel you measure up to someone else. What's interesting is that we often look to others for approval that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve at one time felt fully in God. Before the fall, they felt this incredible approval that was in God. You and I hide behind masks because we're afraid that people really saw us as we are, they would reject us. Let me just ask a pop question here. When is the last time you were absolutely honest with someone about your sins and your particular struggles as well? So maybe not even the sins you've committed, but the ones you're thinking about, the ones that are tempting. When's the last time you were gut level honest with someone to say, this is what I'm struggling with today? And if you haven't, man, why not? I would say that it's often because we want them to think we're better than we are. Or we have everything more together than we do, but we don't, do we? And we're not, are we? On the flip side, our need to see ourselves as better than others leads us to despise those who don't treat us the way we want to be treated. We judge those we think are beneath us. We sometimes even forsake our friends if we think someone or something else can offer us more. That's why this generation that comes behind me, they struggle to commit because a better offer may come along. That's why many struggle to commit with even church membership. Whether it may be a better one that pops up or this one may be able to serve me more in this way. And I meant when I said serve me more. But even if you and I were to know exactly what other people say or think of us, listen to me, that doesn't ultimately define who you are. Even if they get it right. Doesn't ultimately define who you are. Our identity is not found in comparing ourselves to anyone else. Our identity is not found in what other people say or think of us. And especially those who remind you of your failures over and over and over. We're more than that. Let me ask then a couple more questions. When you are asked to describe yourself, how do you do it? So when people say, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself, how do you answer that question? Do you talk about what you have? Do you talk about what you do? Do you choose what you say based on how you think they're going to respond? 
And then th this is the one I really want to get to today. How long does it take you before you get to what God says about you in Christ? When people say, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long does it take us to get to what God says about us? Uh, two moms out there in particular, I, I want you to know you're more than so-and-so's husband. You're more than so-and-so's mom. And because we know Mother's Day can be a mixed bag, we've said that. I, I want to give us a word that's beneficial for all of us. And we want to place our focus not just on moms. We may have some application here. But we want to place our focus where we place our focus every Sunday, and that's on Jesus. And Ephesians 1 gives us such a great opportunity to do that. And there's a word here for all of us to see where our true identity rests. Not feeling secure, valued, worthy, loved, accepted, or understood leads us to seek security, value, worth, love, and acceptance in sources that can never fully satisfy. Uh, one of Tara's best friends is Katie McAllister, now... What's Katie's last name? I get she married, but Sue Mac and Lee Mac grew up here in Tupelo. Uh, she married Craig Curtis. So uh, on the night of their rehearsal dinner, Craig, Katie's to be groom, stood up and thanked her father. And he said this because she felt security in your arms, she didn't look for it in any other man's. I thought, man, what a word for a dad with little girls. And that's the word for us. Because we don't realize the security and value and worth that's ours in Jesus. We keep looking for it in all these other arms that aren't worthy. All these other places that aren't worthy. So where's our true identity found? How can we know who we are? Ultimately, our identity rests in the gospel and what's true of us because of Jesus. And the sentence that I put there on your paper... Our identity is found in being the men and women God is transforming us to be in Jesus. That's who we are. Who God is transforming us to be in Jesus. I love what another said. The Christian life is really a treasure hunt as you progressively discover the vast wealth that's already yours because you're now in Christ. Some of you think that I write long passages in a sentence. Um, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is one sentence by Paul. And... It's been said that uh, there's a lot of gospel grammar in Ephesians 1 that we should speak and talk about because these are true for us. But then besides that, Paul doesn't give a lot of concern about any other grammar because it's just one big sentence that he goes through. And what I want you to see in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, this is not something we make ourselves. This is something God alone does for us. This is something God does for us the moment we believe this is true of us. This is the identity he gives us. These are the gifts that he gives us. So who are we really? Let's begin in verse 3. And who I hope we are uh, are those who bless God. So I put it in parentheses. I hope that we could say we are those who bless God. But I put it in parentheses because maybe we're not. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The word blessed is where we get our word eulogy. It means say a good word. Say a, a good word. Paul is calling them here. Say a good word about God. Stand up and bless God. Ultimately, he's going to say, because he said a good word about you, and that word is Christ. So say a good word, offer praise to him, speak well of him. Those are all the implications where it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, let's just ask this. How often do you do that? How often did you do that this past week? How often did you say a good word to God or about God? How often do we speak well of God? 
Would you say you more often speak a good word about God or a good word about you or those you're proud of? So who's dominating your conversations? Do we speak well of God both in public and in private? Because sometimes it's easy to do it in public, but never do it in private. And it's all a sham when it's in public only. That we're not speaking well of him. How often do we praise him? How often do we think of him? Psalm 96 says, sing, sing, sing to the Lord a new song. Ascribe, ascribe, worship him. Why? It says, because glory is due his name. Because he's a great king who reigns above all others. Declare salvation day to day. Stephen Cole said, to what extent do you find praise, adoration, thankfulness, and joy in God welling to the surface in your daily life? And he says, I'm not just talking about you. Just say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, brother. It's Mother's Day. Amen. He says, I'm talking about heartfelt joy and satisfaction in Christ that floods into your soul. It should not be a rare experience. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones just says, there's no more true test of our Christian profession than to discover how prominent this note of praise and thanksgiving is in our life. Let me tell you a secret. If you think very little on the cross of Christ, you'll probably thank God very little throughout your day. If, you, if you're not considering the cross, you're probably not praising very much. If you're not considering what he's done for us. And look at this. We're not to bless him so that he will bless us. We are to bless him, he says, because he has blessed us. That he has done this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has spoken a good word. Now, if this is not amazing to you, there are two things wrong. You have too low of a view of God and too high of a view of you. We should always be amazed that God would speak a good word over us, that he would speak Christ over us. It should steal our breath. It should always amaze us. When we come to the point that we expect grace rather than be amazed, something is wrong. I hope that we would never be those that would say, of course he would say a good word over me. I'm me. Don't you know? Right? Oh, it's what I prayed in my prayer. Colossians 1 says that we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil. But then through Christ, we can be wholly blameless without reproach. This is what God does for those who were alienated, hostile, evil. Not those who were good. Those who were ungodly. This is who God loves. How deep the Father's love Two of the verses in there say, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. And so here we're being called, hey, say a good word about God. Let me just do one little sidebar here, because some of you might be thinking, well, isn't that self-serving? That God wants it all about himself? He's egotistical. C.S. Lewis has figured it all out for us. We worship what we enjoy. We praise what we enjoy. Many of you are going to go and maybe have a great lunch, and you'll be like, mmm, that's so good, all right? That's so good. Thank you, Danvers, all right? <laughs> Love your potato salad and macaroni salad on the salad bar. It's my kind of salad, all right? And what do we do? When we enjoy, we, we praise. When, when there's an, an artist that we enjoy, we praise that artist. Yesterday, when... Uh, Adoniram soccer team was losing 4-1 to one, and they came back and they eventually won the game 5-4 to four. you should have seen all the 40 year olds on the side going whoa you know no one had to say hey raise your hand brother be excited right 
There was just joy in what they were doing there. And so, as we're called to express this joy in God, it's because we're, we're having joy in him. As we express this praise, it's fueled by joy. Now, look at what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I shared with uh, our elders right before. I once watched a guy on TV who said he had a word from God. Tara and I were watching it. And he said, he went just like this. He said, I got a word from God. It's, I feel it right here. And I admitted to the elders, that's often where I feel things, but it's not a word from God. It's a word of trouble often, but not, not a word from the Lord. He said, I got a word from God. And then he said, here's the word. Your bills can't live. Woo! And that church exploded. That was his word, that their bills couldn't live. And then people started coming and throwing money on the stage. I was like, no, 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 your, your bills are going to be in trouble. You throw that money to that guy, right? His bills are going to be fine. Your bills are now on the stage paying his bills. So when we read this and say, hey, God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, we might think to ourselves, well, that's fine, but I'm struggling here in the physical world. And I'm struggling in this as some people say, pie in the sky when you die stuff. I mean, in this, looking forward to it. And there are others who would say, we can be so heavenly focused that we're no earthly good. And to that, again, C.S. Lewis says hogwash. He says, you know who, who's done the most good? The Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It's since Christians have begun thinking less of the other world that they've become so effective in this one. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And so as we come to this, hey, bless God, because he's done something for us we could never do for ourselves, and we should rise up, and we should never stop praising him for what he's done. Now, that gets us to what is it that he's done. Here's where our identity rests, and this is what I want you to say. We are to be those who hopefully bless God, because here in Christ, this is who we are. He begins in verse 4 and says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. When's the last time when you said, Hey, tell me who you are, you responded, Chosen. I mean, it would freak people out. And let's just admit it. You know, you're weird, right? But it would certainly open the opportunity. What do you mean by chosen? And what we want to help you understand is this idea that you are wanted. The word there has the idea to pick or choose out for oneself. No one is going to be in heaven because God had to be convinced. All who are in heaven will be there because God called them and God wanted them to himself. There's a, the way that it's written, too, is this total independent choice. I read this week of babies that were born and thrown into trash cans. I read of a baby that was born and left in a toilet in a high school bathroom. Those babies were not wanted. By those moms. You. You were wanted by God. If you've been abandoned. By a spouse. Or by parents. What you need to know from the gospel is. They may not have wanted you. God did. And look at how long he's been thinking. It says even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. You've been wanted for a very long time. He's had a plan for a very long time. And so who are we? We are those who are chosen. We are those who are wanted. What is it that he's chosen us for? It says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. How many of you feel holy right now? How many of you, when you choose sin, you still feel holy? 
How many of you know that holy means to be set apart, that we're to be distinct from the world? And I want you to see holy is not just what we will be, it's what we are now in Jesus. This is your identity. In Christ, you are holy. Well, why does holiness matter? Here are three simple reasons the Bible says. God is holy. Without holiness, we will not see God. Through Christ is our only means of holiness. This is what the Bible teaches. And what he's saying here is you are wanted and what you need most in order to stand in God's presence. When Isaiah saw God, he fell at his feet wanting his insides to be outside because he saw God's holiness and he recognized his lack of it. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. Just think about this one day. You who chose sin may be on your way to church this morning. One day you will stand and not have to be in shame. You are holy. And it's not just then. It is also now. Because all God expects from us, he provides for us in Christ. Matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, he didn't just call you in holiness. He gave you his Holy Spirit. So who are you, really? Well, if you're in Jesus, you are wanted, you are chosen, and you are holy. Now, he, gets, he keeps going, that we are blameless before him. To be blameless means to be without blemish or fault. Have you ever been accused of something by somebody? Were you guilty of it? I mean, I've been accused of a lot. I've done a lot. I, I spit water on this lady's furniture one time when we were visiting her house in Port Arthur. And uh, we didn't have cell phones then, so the phone was ringing when we walked in the door, you know. And mom called all three of my names, you know. So that's, you, you know you're not having quiet time when that occurs. And I ran, because that's what you do as a child. I shut the door, and I prayed, Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far away. He answered the prayer when mom opened the door, I flew. And so, have you ever been accused? Yes, I've, I've been accused of stuff I was not guilty of and stuff that I certainly was guilty of. And here's what I want to help you understand. Because Jesus is perfect, God sees anyone who trusts in Christ as their sa- as perfect too. He no longer holds your sin against you. It's been paid for and forgiven. You are washed clean spiritually and you can stand before God without fear of accusation or condemnation. Everything good about Jesus is now good about you. All of your sin is covered by Christ. So if you're out there and you keep thinking the other shoe's going to fall and God's going to just disown you, he made him who knew no sin to be your sin so that now, not just then, now you can be his righteousness. Now, blameless. And then Paul just says, in case you're slow, let me ask you a few questions. Who's going to bring any charge against God's people? He says, who's going to condemn him? It's Christ Jesus who died not only died lives and intercedes so here's what you need to know the devil may accuse you all day it's all been covered and even now you are blameless before god if that doesn't make you shout i don't know what will i once heard a pastor say it's dry in here as last year's bird's nest can't be that way when we consider these great truths who are you You don't have to be a mom, a dad, or anything. In Christ, chosen, holy, and get this, blameless. One day you will stand before God without blemish. Right? Now, here's one that's incredible. It says in verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love. You see, God's actions for us are because of his affections. 
for us. You may never feel loved by anyone else. You are loved if you are in Christ. One of Satan's schemes in the garden was to get Adam and Eve to distrust God's words and his love for them. Say, hey, God's holding out on you, right? Isn't it really funny that he said, hey, if you do this, you'll be like God, even though they were made in the image of God already? But Adam was a dunce, you know, one protecting his wife, and he missed it. And so to distrust God. And so when they began questioning God and his goodness, they were no longer trusting God for their life or their identity or their purpose. Let me just tell you this. The one who tries to convince you that God is evil is definitely not your ally. The one that tries to convince you that God's holding out on you or God's, they're not your ally. And the garden is also a classic example of what we perceive to be true. Adam and Eve perceived that God was holding out on them. Was that true? Was God holding out on Adam and Eve? They perceived it to be true. And sometimes what we perceive to be true can hold more weight than the truth and authority of God's word and what he's done for us and given us. That's why some of you struggle to really believe that you're blameless, holy, and chosen. Because you don't feel like you are, right? We are no different than Adam and Eve when we decide what's true based on what we see and think and not on what God's word says is true. Or let me just give you an example. Maybe you're on Instagram. And even if what we see is nothing more than a filtered Instagram picture, it can carry more weight in determining how we view ourselves than what God says about who we are. Can't it? Or am I just preaching to people who don't? No, that's not you? Okay. Let me say these words to you. Three words. You are loved. You are loved. God demonstrated this love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let me help you understand this. God's love for you is not based on your feelings. It's based on his facts. Even when you don't feel he's loved. That's why you look to the cross because he can't show you anymore. Maybe you're constantly looking to people to say, hey, show me your love. Show me. You cannot show it any more than God has and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So his love's not based on your feelings. And, and that love definitely has a choice. There are questions of whether in love goes with verse 4 or what comes behind in verse 5 because it's saying, should we be holy and blameless in love with him? Or does it mean in love he made a choice and did something for us? I want you to write down two references. 1 Thessalonians 1.4. 1 Thessalonians 1.4. And 2 Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. In 1 Thessalonians 1.4, it says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. There, love and his choice are connected. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 says, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, God has chosen love and doing something for you. Those are connected, and that's why I think in love, what follows behind here in verse 5 is, is connected. And so in Christ, here's, here's our identity that we're chosen, holy, blameless, loved. And then there's this other word, predestined. And Paul uses that word twice, so he's not making a mistake about it. And what predestined means is that God has a plan for our lives, and in particular that plan is to be adopted in Jesus. And there are folks who want to cut words like this out of the text. I, why would we do that? Paul is using it to help us understand the gospel. And surely we would not think that God would create the universe without a plan or the ability to carry out that plan. Especially when that plan is adoption. Now, now let me help you because this is where we begin to get nervous. 
Am I predestined? Here's how you can know. Repent and believe. We should see each person in our city as a candidate for the gospel. How do you know if you're chosen? Repent and believe. Look to Jesus. That's how you can know. Respond to Christ. Don't stress out over it. Well, am I part of the plan or not? Respond and believe. Right? I don't have a problem with God planning when that planning is for our adoption in Jesus. Do you? His plan is for our good. And he says respond and believe and we should. And so you are predestined. What that means is your salvation isn't arbitrary or an accident. You're wanted. And then adopted. And adoption was plan A. He predestines us for adoption. That's what the plan is. He plans for us to be brought into his family. He, he, adoption means that we get to be in close relationship with him, which is why Romans 8 says that there's this progression of the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit. We put to death the deeds of the flesh of the Spirit. Then the Spirit leads us to say, Abba, Father. You will know that you're progressing in your walk with Christ the more you see God is not the big guy in the sky, but his dad, his father. That you're adoption becomes precious to you one mark of our salvation is our increasing love for god as our father that's why john writes and says see what kind of love the father's given to us that we should be called children of god is that lost on you or does that still amaze you to be adopted means we're heirs with jesus well what's jesus going to get everything and that we would be heirs with jesus it also means our eternal future is secure. I, I said it in my prayer. Those whom he adopts, he's not going to abandon. Those who are in his heart are going to be in his home. That's what he does. It also changes our relationships because it means we have brothers and sisters in Christ. It changes how we should relate to each other. Let me give you a word of encouragement. Your adoption is not based on your fitness or your worth or your distinctives. It's rooted in God's eternal purpose and grace which means your adoption is not fragile or tenuous or uncertain. Let me also help you know, we were not cute little orphans that God was attracted to. We were enemies in rebellion against him, and he still chose to bring us into his family. This also means one more significant truth. I say it often, not all people in the world are God's children. Campaigns are ramping up, political campaigns. We're all God's children. No, we're not. Those who are in Christ are God's children. Those who are not in Christ are still his creation. We are all his creation. But those who are in Christ and in Christ alone are his children. Right? So don't blur that line. If you hear someone say that at work, use it as an opportunity to speak for the gospel. Let's keep going because there's more truth here. How many of you would say this truth so far is incredible enough? Right? It's incredible enough. But he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says that we've been predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, which means it was his own counsel, and this to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Who am I? I'm redeemed. That means the purchase price has been paid for me to be set free. That's what redemption is. Not only that, he goes on to say we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. I'm forgiven. Repeat after me. If I'm in Jesus... I am forgiven. One more time, because I know there's some of you that don't believe it. Row four, row five, wherever you are. Repeat after me. If I'm in Jesus, I am forgiven. Our sins have not only been atoned, they've been removed. Amen? 
And then it says that he lavishes grace upon us. I love that God's not like scraping the bottom of the grace bucket. All right. He lavishes grace. God doesn't love on a budget and his mercies that are new every morning are abundant. They're not barely, right? He lavished this upon us. Then ultimately it makes us an heir. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. So we've talked about it. I mentioned it already. We are an heir. In Christ, God has made us a son. We will be granted full inheritance. And then lastly, it says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you know what this means? That when the Spirit moves in, do you know what that means? He says he is the guarantee of what's to come, right? Because God doesn't do clap off, clap on, clap off, regenerate, unregenerate, regenerate, unregenerate. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do adopted, abandoned, adopted, abandoned. He doesn't do that. He moves himself, his very presence, his Holy Spirit in. So you know what that means? You will always be chosen. You will always be holy. You will always be blameless. You will always be adopted. You will always be loved. You will always be redeemed. You will always be forgiven. And that will never change, even when you sin this afternoon. Amen? Now, what glorious truth the Spirit guarantees. And, and this is the joy. The height of all this list is right there. God gives us himself. God gives us himself. I don't know what you got, moms, for Mother's Day. Hope it was great. You can never get a better gift than God giving you himself. All right? So I hope that we're those who bless God because this is who he's made us to be. When's the last time you used that as your identity? When's the last time you said, this is who I am? This is who I am in Jesus, right? When the world or the devil or the flesh tries to tell you different. Let's move to truth three in our outline then that we are all these things only in Christ. That's how they, they come. I've listed the scripture references there for you, but they don't come any other way. That he's blessed us in Christ from the very beginning. Verse 3. Verse 4 says, In him that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestines for adoption through Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he's loved us in the beloved. Verse 7. In him. You keep going. Every verse, every blessing is tied to Christ. God is not obligated to bless us in this way. He has chosen to do this. And at the greatest cost, the cost of Christ. Spurgeon says, God called us in Christ. He justified us in Christ, sanctified us in Christ. He will perfect us in Christ. He will glorify us in Christ. We have everything in Christ and we have nothing apart from Christ. Christ is the key to this passage. When we become Christians, we don't receive a benefits package. I saw that Toyota has, uh, they're, they're looking to hire 400 people. So maybe if you're thinking of transition, there you go. They have interviewed it says it takes them about, they have to interview about a thousand or so before they, they get a hundred solid uh, leads. So you still got time. They've only interviewed 300. If you work for Toyota, it said that they'll give you a benefits package, right? So by working there, you get a benefits package. Christianity is not that we come and then Jesus gives us this benefits package. Jesus gives us Jesus. And all of this is because we're in Jesus. It's not just an added on sort of thing. It comes through Christ. 
So we want to be those who speak well of the Lord because he's spoken well of us. And his speaking well of us is not because we're good, but because Christ is infinitely good. And not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Jesus left the glory of heaven to live in this broken and sinful world to be in relationship with us. He came not to judge us, but to be judged on our behalf. Think about this just for a moment. How hard is it for you to admit your own sin? It's difficult, right? How often then do you willingly take blame for someone else's sin? This is what Jesus did. There's no sin that he's admitting to that was his. He's being blamed for all of ours. He's taking it upon himself. And then his suffering wasn't just what he endured on the cross, but he suffered throughout his earthly ministry. So listen to this, moms, dads, children. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be persecuted, mocked, rejected. He knows what it's like to be gossiped and lied about behind his back and criticized to his face. He knows what it means to be ignored and excluded. He knows what it means to be hurt by those he loves. He knows what it means to feel sad and alone. He knows what it's like to be faced with temptation. He knows what it's like to be under stress and pressure. And he knows what it means to be angry. And he felt every emotion we do, yet didn't sin and all of that. All right? His suffering perfected his ability to fully identify with us. He gets us. And he's filled with compassion for us in our trials and temptations and sufferings. And because he knows us already like this, we can go to him with everything. There's nothing we have to hide. Nothing he can't handle. Nothing too big, too embarrassing, or too shameful to keep us from going straight to him as our great high priest. If you feel shame over your sin and feel like you can't drag it to him one more time, you listen to the gospel. He says, bring it to me. I've already covered it. I've already covered it. Paid for it. So God's blessing us with Christ and every spiritual blessing shows the sufficiency. There's nothing we have to do to get these. Christ has done all that was necessary for this to be true of us. It doesn't mean that our sin doesn't matter. Certainly as we come in Christ, there should be a distaste for sin and we want to put away sin rather than put up with it. And the more we understand what God's done for us, we want to excuse our sin, we'll execute it. All right? But these blessings, they're not just for super Christians, they're for every Christian who believes. Now, let me give you this truth and let this wash over you just for a moment. If you are in Christ, God sees you as he sees Jesus. Not one day, right now. If you are in Christ, God sees you as he sees Jesus. This is what gives us our truest, most lasting, and most secure identity. You know what? It's no wonder Paul was praising God. The question is why we ever stop. All right? To be a disciple of Jesus means that we find our life in Jesus and we're not looking to anything or anyone else to give us life, meaning, security, value, or any good thing. Only Christ gives us an identity that says this. No matter what my peers say about me, I'm deeply loved by God. Even though I've messed up for the thousandth time, God calls me righteous. I received a text from one of our own folks this morning who was honest with me to admit in choosing sin. And I was able to say, in Christ you're still righteous. That has not changed and will never change. Praise God for someone who's able to admit, to come alongside and we can work and battle together. Even though we've messed up for the thousandth time, God calls me righteous. Although I didn't make the team or get asked to the dance or pass the test, students, 
My significance and worth is in Christ. I don't have to prove or elevate myself because God accepts me as I am. His opinion is the only one that matters. And then what this goes on to mean is the power that comes from Jesus' death and resurrection is a power that keeps us from looking for meaning in life from the things of the world because Jesus is our meaning in life. It's a power that keeps us from trying to achieve identity through our performance because our identity is found in his performance for us, not ours. It's a power that frees us to forget ourselves and focus on loving others because we're fully and completely loved in Jesus so we can give ourselves fully and completely to others without demanding anything in return, even from a spouse, even from children who never thank you for washing anything because God frees us to love. We're completely loved. So he frees us to love without demanding anything in return. It's a power that assures us that even though we fail in our commitment to God, we can always go to him and his grace and forgiveness are ours. It's a power that keeps us from being destroyed when relationships fracture or fail because we know Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. It's a power to get out of bed and keep functioning when we feel like the world is against us because we know in Christ, listen to this, God is for us. It's a power that debunks the whispering lies and accusations of Satan, which is why some of us don't want to lift hands when we're singing, because we feel like we're not holy. Satan's whispering and bringing up things you did, bringing them to mind. It's a power that leads us to share the gospel without fear to our friends. When we find our true self in Jesus, then we can stand when everything else is sinking around us. No matter what our weakness, struggles, sin, or brokenness, they don't define you or disqualify you from being in Jesus. So I hope, who are we? We are those who bless God because this is who we are in Christ and in Christ alone, this is us. Now, we are blessed in Christ for our good and for God's glory. You see, we are not holy, blameless, chosen. All these are not ends in themselves. They're means to an end. And he tells you what that end is. He tells you in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. He tells you at the end of verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And he tells you at the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. God didn't do all of this for our glory. He does it for his. So that we are his workmanship. You look over in chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that people look and they see our lives and they say, I know who did that, God. I know who's working that God. And so the goal of our adoption, the goal of our redemption and forgiveness is that God's grace would be praised. That God has adopted us in our unworthiness to make his grace look great. And if you're worried about, man, it looks really great in you. I got a lot there myself. That his grace looks great because of our unworthiness. God's action in adopting us is radically God-centered and God-exalting. And to the praise of his glory, he's done this, and it's for our eternal good. I won't take time to walk through this, but because of this is who we are, then what Paul is going to say is then this is what we do. This is the therefore of the gospel, and I've listed them there for you. You can read them later on. We walk in good works God has prepared for us. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We no longer walk as those do without Christ. We walk in love and light and wisdom. We walk according to God's word. I want to close just by referencing Colossians 1. I mentioned it to you often. I bring it up because it's one of my favorite passages. But 
when Paul found out that the church of Colossae had been in Christ, he said, look, we've continued to pray for you. And he, he prays four aspects for them. He says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he says, now that you're in Christ, we're praying for you to know what God wants. That's what he says there. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now that you're in Jesus, we're praying for you to know what he wants, so you'll do it. And then he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind for all endurance and patience with joy. So that you will know what he wants and do it in his power. And then he closes by saying, and all of these three, because of the gospel. Giving thanks to the one who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness. Qualified, delivered, transferred, redeemed, forgiven. Those will make a difference on a Monday morning. Those should make a difference on the Tuesday afternoon. Those should make a difference. And what I want to know is, is Trace Crossing a place in which the gospel is actually making a difference in our lives? And so we come back. Let me close in this way. Look in Ephesians 1 and look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How many of you know people who are trying to find their identity in other places? Maybe in what they have or what they can do or what others think of them. You know the only cure for that is that someone shares with them the gospel and they hear it and they believe it and their identity becomes what's true of them in Christ. There's only one way that any of us become in Christ. That's that we hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. How many students of your friends are struggling based on what they think others on social media think of them or not. Their only hope is Jesus. Ballet moms, baseball dads. It's not based on the performance of our kids on the stage or field. Our identity is found in Christ's performance every day of his life at the cross and crushing death. That's where our identity is found. Where have you been looking for your identity? Has it been in what you have done or what Christ has done? Is it in what you have or what you have in Christ? And is it what others think about you or is it what about what God says about you and Jesus? That's one of my longings as a pastor to free us to be able to serve unbelievably in our city because we have been approved by God in Jesus. We're not looking it for anyone else. That's why we can say what we proclaim is Christ Jesus and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Right? So that it's not about their return. It's about what he's done in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Just a chance to be reminded of gospel truth. What you have done for us in Jesus. I pray we would not be those who have forgotten we were once dead in our trespasses, walking according to the ways of the world, giving into the cravings of the flesh, and were by nature objects of wrath. And I pray we would never forget Ephesians 2, 4 that says, but you did something. You and your great love and mercy made us alive in Jesus. Now please help us. It's so easy to try to find our identity in degrees or possessions or accomplishments or even 
having kids and a spouse, having certain kinds of kids or certain kind of spouse. We can try to find value and worth and performance or even social media. Father, we just need to be rescued and be reminded who we are in Jesus. That when people ask, who are we? This is where we are grounded. We are those who have been chosen, who even now are holy, even now in Christ are blameless. I pray for those that are struggling to really believe the gospel, that this isn't just a one day in heaven. These things are true now. In Christ, we are holy now. We are forgiven now. We are redeemed now. We have been adopted now. Certainly, the full expression of these things we will experience in an unbelievable manner one day. But it does not make them less true on this day. So I pray for any mom, any dad, any teenager, any child, college student, single, grandparent, whoever, that's struggling with their identity. Father, please remind them where our identity rests in Jesus. And he is sufficient. And at great cost to himself, he has done these things for us. And in the end, not for our glory, but to the praise of your glory. Father, if it's been a long time since we just blessed you, we just, we just haven't said a good word to you about you, would you grant that each day this week we would bless you? We would consider the gospel and we would rise up and we would praise you. We would speak a good word of you because you have spoken the greatest word over us, Christ. Father, please don't let Trace Crossing become desensitized to the gospel. May we each week be transformed by the fact this is true. This is true. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this morning.